You're listening to the On The Rise podcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs as we make our way to the top. Here is your host, known as the property shark, Mr. John Lee. Hello. Okay. Hey, what's up everyone? John Lee here, also known as The Property Shark. Uh, Welcome back to another episode of the On The Rise podcast. Today we have a very special guest with us, Andy Nguyen. He is the founder and owner of Afters Ice Cream um, and we'll get into his entrepreneurial journey as well. He has a bunch of other ventures that he's involved with and started in the past um, and currently as well. So, um, Andy, thank you again for uh, coming on the podcast today. Of course. Thanks for having me. Uh, happy to be here. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, Andy. Um, so for the people that don't know about you, could you give them some context of you know, who you are and what you're about? Yeah. Um, people know me as a serial restaurateur, I guess they can, you can say that. Uh, I currently own about 10 plus different food concepts and I do, you know, consulting on the side. I own other projects that I work on and, uh, yeah, so that's a little bit about what I do. Wonderful, Andy. Yeah. Um, so kind of take me back to when you were in high school, you know, like, like what kind of student were you in school? Uh, I was a shitty student. I was one of the, I was one of the worst early on. Um, Definitely not your typical Asian student, your stereotypical, um, far from that. Um, got bad grades, got kicked, kicked out of school after my freshman year, spent, uh, spent my soft, sophomore year in a place called Continuation School. Um, and through that, that, that year that I spent at home, um, being Continuation School, I kind of like unlocked a lot of my fears and, and picked up my confidence and, and kind of dug in on who I wanted to be. And uh, I used that as new energy to come back to school and they let me back in my school my junior and senior year and I did uh started doing really well during the last few years there yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. um so so for the people that don't know uh, what is continuation studies uh continuation studies is like so here it's the one I went to was it's like a little it's like an, a little creepy office like not even it's not even at your school there's like no there's no really uh it's just an office space that you go to you go there once a week to pick up your homework and when you get there, you see a lot of like 
gang members and you see like pregnant women and people that, you know, like all the troublemakers are, are in this, this place to pick up their homework. Um, you go there once a week and the rest of the time you're at home, you're pretty much, it's like being on house arrest. It's like being, it's like quarantine right now. You're at home all the time. And, uh, for the first few days, it's like, cool, I get to relax and hang out. But then, you know, the second, third, fourth, fifth week, you're like, dude, I need to get out of this. So, Got yeah, it. Yeah. Got it. And, and um, what about school was it that caused you to kind of be in a position? Because I don't feel like you're a bad student by any means. No. Was it just because you weren't interested in what you were learning? Um, I think uh, it was a, a combination of a lot of things. I think the subject matter and the teaching style didn't quite work in what I was um, interested in. The, 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 the things that I did, I did well in were basketball and I did choir because choir, I enjoyed music and basketball. So that's like, you know, it's easy. Uh, but the subject matter of textbooks and the way they were teaching was, was really tough for me to, to take it in. And also I was dealing with a lot of bullies in that, that, that first year of high school. And, you know, there's a lot of gang members at the school I went to back in early like late 90 in uh, 1999 um and bullies are just you know that was in my head all the day, in, uh, all the time and i couldn't focus got it got it and you know you being you grew you grew up in that harsh environment um mm-hmm. and by you stepping away and doing continuation studies kind of at home you're able to isolate yourself from a lot of the noise and and really focus on who you are um, would you say that that was a turning point in your life just to be yeah. able to have um, that moment of silence? Yeah, I think cause who I was, you know, when I was in school, I wasn't really expressing myself and I had to really think back of like, you know, who I envisioned myself, who, who, who I am really, and why am I letting these things affect me? And was, was it so bad being there than being at home right now? I was like, you know, being at home, I would, I would rather been picked on every day than sit at home all by myself again. I was like, you know what? I, I can't do this. It sucks. Like I got to start thinking in a different way and, and gain new confidence. And I kind of put that together and I came back as like, you know, I was like the new kid when I came back, so it gave me like a brand new identity. And take me through the, the process of reinventing yourself, you know, after going through so much bad experiences, you right. know, you could say at, at such an early on that would really put you in, in a bad mindset of doing mm-hmm. things. How do you reinvent yourself? at such an early age you know you, you know you grow up in a household where you know i was just tired of like um disappointing my parents you know like they're like damn dude like i'm just like this 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 screw up and do i continue this route like I, I, if i continue this route like where where is it going to lead me you know like i it, it's not taking me somewhere i want to go like i don't picture i can't picture my future like continuing like drowning myself, you know, I was like at the, I'm like rock bottom already as, as a kid, you know, it was like, this is like the worst thing. Like you're an Asian kid and you got kicked out of school. It's not a good look. Like none of your, none of your friends, parents want to let them hang out with you. You know, like those are like the worst thing, like the worst qualities. Um, and you know, I, I had to really pick back, pick myself up. You know, I had to really look at myself and go, Hey, you know what? Like I want to be back in school. I, the, the thing I cared most about was like, I just want to be around people and I just love socializing. And I lived right across the street from the high school I went to. So I'd look outside my window and then I could see, you know, I could see the kids leaving and having a good time and smiling, laughing. And I'm just like in the window like this, like, please like, let me out. And what role did your parents play uh, in terms of when you were growing up and your upbringing? 
Uh, you know, if you live in an Asian household, you already know that expectations about education. Education is like the hugest thing possible. They don't care. They don't care about anything else. They just want you to do well in school so that you can, in order to, you know, to, to further yourself in your career as being a doctor, a lawyer, whatever, you know, pharmacist, whatever the role that Asian parents want you to do. Those, um, you know, that's what they pushed on me because that's all they knew. And, you know, they moved here from, you know, they came here during, you know, after the Vietnam War and all they knew is if you want to do well in life, you have to have a, a good education. They didn't know about entrepreneurship or business. And uh, so they're, you know, they always push myself, push me and uh, push me and my sister to, to do well and work hard. And uh, I get to see a lot of, I get to see a lot of their qualities of how hard they worked and sacrificed for, for our family. And um, that instilled me to where I am today. That, that's, that's really powerful, Andy. And take me through when you graduated high school, mm-hmm. um, you know, you were kind of at crossroads. Did you go to university? Did you, you know, when? Uh, Well, if you get kicked out of school, you're definitely not allowed to go to any university. There's no university that'll take you in in this world. You might move to another country and then make some fake fake resume or something or or fake degree. Um, But getting kicked out of school, I had to go to community. We go to the thing called community college here, which is, you know, the local, uh, local college where everyone can sign up. And I took, I started taking, you know, your general education courses, uh, and I, the one I remember most was taking, I think the one that really, like, set me off was taking this thing called um, career planning. I took a class called career planning because I didn't know what I wanted to do as a career, and this is, I think, my second year in college, and I was already doing, I was starting to do bad, I was, like, falling on that path of, like, you know, what am I doing here? Like, I don't like the classes I'm taking, I'm just taking things just to, like, just to get by. And then career planning, you take all these surveys and these surveys you get, you know, you get like what you should, what are your good qualities about yourself? What you think you should be doing in my head? I think I was going to do cool. Like, and I thought I was going to be like a, like a rap producer or, you know, working in like a fashion designer, but then the results were like uh, janitor and office administrator. And I was like, no, fuck that. I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'm done. I'm checked out already. So, so you went to community college for how many years? Two years? Uh, yeah, around two years. And then at that point, you know, the things weren't going the way you, you were planning it to be. Uh, but you also, again, had growing up in the Asian household, you had the pressure of, you know, doing well right. in school, having a higher education. Right. Uh, what, what did you decide to do after that point? Did you decide to just quit? And bounce or um, push through. I had, you know, I had, I had a good circle of friends of driven friends around me um, that were always doing different things. Uh, one of my closest friends, he dropped out six months into college, and he decided to go into the field of real estate, uh, real estate appraisal. And he was talking to me about it and explaining to me what it was, and I just had like zero interest in it. I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. It's not. I have. I don't even know what real estate's about. I don't really. I don't really care. I don't, I'm not looking to buy a home anyway. So why don't I, it's not, it's not for me. Um, he told me, he's like, I'm working for this really young guy and this really young guy's making a lot of money. He's driving a Range Rover, blah, blah, blah at the time. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And he goes, you know what? If we, we could, we could, uh, we could start our own company and do the same thing. And I was like, Hey, how do you, how can you start your own company? Like, aren't you supposed to have like, aren't you supposed to be like a lot older and, know what you're doing to start your own company and he goes no this guy's this guy's really young he figured it out so i'm just gonna follow his footsteps and we can do it ourselves and i think that was that was a you know turning point for me where i was like okay well i'm not doing that i'm not doing great in school anyways and i have nothing to lose and starting my own company sounds funner than than, than, than going to class so um 
I told, I went back to my parents and I, I pretty much lied to them and told them I was going to do both at the same time. I was like, I'm going to go study for my real estate exam and still go to school at the same time. But slowly I'm like, you know, you go into school less and less. And, uh, and uh, I, I ended up dropping out and I focused on the real estate thing. And I ended up getting my real estate appraiser's license. Um, and I built, from there I built my first, uh, built me and my best friend built our first company. And did you tell your parents that you dropped out when you did or, or uh, no, I think I just, I just kept just not, just kept, you know, doing my thing. And, you know, they, you know, they're so busy with what they're doing that they don't ask, you know, like how's school, oh, school's good. All right. But how's the real estate thing? Oh, let's get my license. So, um, I think they were, you know, I think they're happy to see that I got my license. Like at least it's accomplishing something instead of nothing. Um, and over time, you know, over time they just, they just kind of figure like, Oh shit, I guess he drops, he's not going to school anymore. Uh, he's so focused on his real estate thing and not, and we're so busy, you know, we're so busy, uh, cause the real estate app in Oh, Oh four, Oh five was like 2004, 2005 was crazy. You know, like it was so busy. We were so slammed with a lot of work and as kids, we're, you know, we're still kids. We're technically still kids. We're like 19 and 20 years old at the time. And we're, we're, we're starting to generate a lot of uh, revenue. And, um, that wasn't, that wasn't normal, you know, like for us, like we, we, none of our friends were making as much money as we were. And it was, it was cool to see. And how do you surround yourself with driven friends? Um, What's the secret to that? I guess you, it's, there's not really a secret. You know, you, just, you, if you're, you have a group of friends, you never, you, you never want to be the weakest link, right? If you hang around the troublemakers, like you don't want to be the weakest troublemaker in the group. Like you're going to be the, the baddest one. You know, if you're if you're in a in a group of guys that are like sports or video games or music, you know, you you all, it's, a, it's naturally be competitive around your friends. So if you have friends that are driven to to driven by um, business, then you don't want to have the worst business. You're gonna step your game up. I think that's what it is. Just competing with your friends, putting yourself, you know, people that are driven, so you push each other to level up. And I think it's in, in every situation. It's just like, you know, you play Fortnite with your friends. It wants to be the worst Fortnite player. You're going to keep playing until you start beating your friends. Uh, so it just it depends what, uh, what industry you're in. But it's all pretty much the same. Just naturally, naturally competitive nature. And how many years uh, were you in real estate appraisal before you decided to kind of branch off and do your own I, thing? I did the real estate appraising, uh, appraisal thing for about two and a half years. And what I learned through that was... The great things I learned through real estate appraisal were I learned I learned a foundation a foundation about people such as my friends, um, but I also learned how much I did not like the real estate industry. Like I didn't real estate appraisal industry because I had no interest in it. It wasn't it wasn't my qualities of what kind of business I would start on my own. But this was this was a great way to get my foot in the door. Yeah, you're doing something that you don't like, but you're doing also doing things that you do like, like forming starting your own company, working your friends, making money. It was great. But I think like my interests were, were like elsewhere. I had at that same time period, I had my, one of my closest friends, one another friend, he was starting a clothing brand and he asked me to be a model for the lookbook. And I was like, no, man, I'm not going to be a model. He goes, I'll give you, I'll give you free, I'll give you free clothes. I was like, oh, shit, free clothes. I'm down. Like, what do you want me to do? And after the photo shoot, we ended up like talking more and we ended up, we, we, we decided to share an, like rent an office out together where I would do the real estate appraisal thing on one side and he would do his clothing thing on that side. This guy was making like nothing. He wasn't even making money at all, but you could, you could see my attention span. Like I was like, yeah, I'd rather help this guy out even though he's not making jack shit than do what I'm doing right now. Um, he ended up starting another clothing brand and I pretty much begged him like, Hey, let me invest, have some money. Let me invest into your clothing brand. Like, 
I, I could be an asset to your, your company. And, and he told me no. And when he told me no, I was heated. I was like, why? He told us, he's like, um, I don't think you're ready for this. And that, that like lit a fire in me. I was like, fuck this guy, dude, I'm going to, I'm going to take him out then. And I went back to my best friend, my business partner from the appraisal. And I was like, you know, I got, a, I got, a, I got a great idea. Let's go start our own brand. So we started our own brand in, uh, 2006, we started and we launched in 2000, summer of 2007. <laughs> because of the heated situation and you had that fire in you that made you kind of wanted to, to, to take the jump from there. Um, what was it about real estate appraisal that, that you didn't like? I'm more of like, I'm more of like the creative kid that likes like culture things. I love like hip hop music. I love like, like, like experiences. I love like, you know, hanging out with my friends. I love sports. I love art. I love like, you know, like the fun things in life. And I think real estate is about like, it's like very, um, numbers driven and i'm definitely not a numbers guy and finances that's like not my favorite subject to talk about like people love it and i i'm interested in it but it's just not something i i dive into too much I, i'm more of the creative aspect person and i think what's why i enjoyed about clothing was like well this is like a, a different industry it's like being creative with fashion it's, it's telling stories through your your outfits um and there's so many different aspects about it. That's why I was so driven to the, the clothing side, just because I'm more of a creative. My partner is like more of a numbers guy. So, you know, that's why I needed him for the clothing so he could work on the numbers and I'll do the creative side. Yeah. Got it. And I, I kind of wanted to talk about um, in terms of when you were in, when you were working as a real estate appraisal, um, mm-hmm. within the two and a half years that you were working, when did you feel like you were ready to kind of take the jump to do your own thing? Like what, 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 what was that moment? Um, we, you know, I, I always, I always juggled both at the same time for a little bit. I always, I never like dove a hundred percent in because I always wanted to make sure I did, I minimized the risk just in case like, Hey, this clothing thing is not working out. Like the real estate thing was still making money. So why will we stop? You know, like I'm still going to do this at the same time. And the clothing thing is not taking, not taking all my time yet. Um, and I had the energy, you know, I was just, we're still young as kids and we had so much risk to take. We had so much time that we we're always in the office till like late at night working on the clothing thing. Um, so once the clothing things really start picking up and picking up steam, that's when we start like, you know, okay, well, the, the real estate is about to, the industry's changing anyways. The market crash was, you know, was approaching there. You see a lot of regulation shifts. So we're like, you know, let's just focus on the clothing thing. We have enough money to keep us afloat now. Let's just, let's just continue running. And how were you able to spot that, that shift? Because most people didn't see it coming until it happened. And then that was um, too late, right? I think, I, I don't, you know, cause our intention wasn't until early on, our intention wasn't to like leave the real estate industry. We didn't know the real estate industry was going to become that bubble and explode. You know, we just, it was just like time and opportunity. You know, I saw clothing and I was like, this is, I want to do clothing. I'd rather do clothing because it's more what I'm really passionate about. So I'm going to, apply more time over here and so happens that it started doing really well so that I could apply more time here and then cut out from this, this, uh, this end. Got it. Got it. And, um, in terms of finding a business partner, uh, you know, how, how did you approach that? How do you know who's, the, who's a friend and how do you know who's the right guy to, 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 to be a ride and die and to kind of go all in with you? it's hard to say because I got really lucky with my, my first partner, you know, that's like my best friend. I've known him, you know, since I was eighth grade and 
we have a really good working relationship because we fill each other's gaps very well. He's, you know, more introverted and I'm probably more extroverted in, in the, the partnership. And I think that is a good wavelength, but we've had, you know, I've had other partners where I thought things would work out and we're just butting heads all the time. And you just, sometimes you get lucky and it's so hard to like predict because you can study a person for so long and then once money comes in or money doesn't come in, true colors start showing, you know, true, true color, the real colors start showing. Um, I think it's just, you take each project one at a time, you're transparent as you put out as much information as you can. And if it works out, great. If things don't work out, like get ready to you know, just deal with it and then and move on to the next. And when you guys came in and, and started your own real estate appraisal business, I mean, you're coming in at your 18, 19 real yep. estate, you know, people's dealing with, probably the biggest transaction of their life. Correct. Uh, how do you establish trust uh, when you're so young? How do you get um, into the trust here? Of course, exactly. I'm like a kid with bleach hair coming in with like, you know, like just like Kanye West coming in, trying to, trying to tell them that they should let me, you know, appraise their homes, which is crazy, you know, like, but I built a lot of, you know, we learned to, we had a lot of friends that are loan officers at the time and we built really strong relationships with them where we, we showed them that we could pull off like, Hey, give us a chance on one file. Like we can, we'll, we'll do it for less this time. We'll take less on this first, first file. Just let us show you that we can, we can execute and do a really good job. And then from there you'll continue giving us more. And then they would refer us to their other, um, other colleagues and, and peers. And from then it just kept building and building in that snowball effect, you know, uh, it just took a few just trying to be smart because if we just went there and say hey we want the same we want the same rate as the 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 experienced guy who's been doing it for 20 years they're gonna be like no way like okay we'll take lower but just give us a chance on this one show you that we can do just as good work or even better you know um, and that's what we did that's amazing just finding the right people to connect with and leverage those relationship and it's like a compound effect almost exactly gotcha so your passion kind of led you into fashion. Uh, other than that, like, you know, why, why fashion? Was it really just the, the, the heat of the moment that your friend didn't want you to? No, every, I, we were, me and me and my friends were, were already the fashion. We were known as like in the, in the area, we were known as the fashion kids. You know, we spent any hard earned money that we, we earned. We were buying sneakers, you know, we camp out, we'd camp out outside of a, like a footlocker all night long to, to get the new Jordans or whatever. That, that was part of like the culture. Like I was my seat in my high school. I was like the best, I, was, I got named in my yearbooks, seniors best dress. Um, so these are things that like applied to me already and things I already interested in. So when, you know, when, when he said fashion, I was like, Oh shit, I already like clothing a lot. You know, like I didn't know you could, I, I like I said, I didn't know you could turn that into a career at the time. And I was like, well, I'd rather if I can turn down a career, that's what I'm really interested in. You know? Yeah, that's what I'm passionate about. And I could I could talk about clothing like for days, and that's what I wanted to do. And and how do you? Because I'm assuming you had no experience, you know, starting a fashion brand. I mean, how, how, where do you even start? You had this idea. How did you yeah. turn that into reality? Uh, I think you know, you know, having my friend and my you know my mentor and my mentor, he was pretty much my mentor at the time. He watching him develop his brand and seeing the things that worked and didn't work. You know, those are things that kind of help give me the foundation of like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do when I build my brand. Uh, you know, the trade, like learning about the trade shows, learning about wholesale, learning about um, talking to buyers. Like we had to pretty much emulate what he was doing, but put like my twist on it, what I thought worked and didn't work, but also apply a lot of the found also applying the foundation of my first business of, of, of real estate, you know, like learning how to have structure, how to learn, like what, what departments to have, like understanding numbers. 
And I think all those things, you know, put, put everything just kind of fell into place at that point. That's powerful. When, when you, when you were coming up with the concept of, of the fashion brand, um, the mm-hmm. brand name, what was the inspiration behind that? And what did you call it? Um, the brand was called imaginary kingdom. Um, imaginary kingdom was short for your kingdom is your, your brain. That's the most valuable thing you own. And that's where all your ideas come from. So you get this imaginary kingdom and the nickname, when you cut those words down, you, you, if you take out some of the words, we'll say I'm King and I'm King was like the nickname that everyone knew us for. Uh, I'm King is about being leader, change community. And that was the name we, we stuck with. And that's the one that put us on the map. And initially, how did you get the, the word out, right? Because fashion's all about you know, what's trending, what's popping. You know, you want people yep. talking about you. Of course. Um, yeah, how did, how, just talk about like kind of like your, your thought process of how, yeah, how you we, did. Well, you can see digital website, you know, digital stores were selling like crazy. So, you know, and we were doing really good wholesale with our, our accounts where if you, you know, we work with stores where we were, helping the store put our product right in the front. Like, Hey, put, make sure you put our right, product right in front. So when people come in, they know that's a brand like, okay, what's this new brand? Like, Oh shit, sh- this is the new hottest brand on the streets. Uh, we work on putting, we do product placement. We'd send out product to rappers, actors, you know, models. Uh, we had a blog cause blogging was really like top notch at the time. And blogging was a great way to tell our story and share, share information about what's new coming from our brand information about our staff, places that we like to eat our passions. And, I think a combination of all those things together pretty much put the word out there. Cause everyone's like, Oh, have you seen these Asian guys that have their own clothing brand? Look at their, you know, they're from Orange County. Like, so everyone starts reading about it and I would travel places and I'd have Vietnamese kids rush up on me and go, Oh shit, you're that, you're that guy from California that has a clothing brand. Like, oh, yeah, Thanks. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's awesome, Andy. And um, how, how many years did you have this clothing brand for? I did the clothing thing for a little over seven years. Uh, we sold stores worldwide from, you know, from here, Australia, Asia, Europe. Uh, we had accounts all over the place. Uh, we're definitely well over in a thousand, thousand doors. That's amazing. That's amazing. And so how did you transition from fashion and, and how did you get into the food industry and, and, and afters? How did, how did that happen? Yeah, well, food is an interesting aspect of where I shifted because, you know, I've never before, before I went into food, I've never worked a food and I've never worked in food a day in my life, like never worked at fast food, never worked in the industry, never served tables, none of that. Um, my sister happened to be a huge foodie. And she learns how to, she loves how to cook and she knows all the good places to eat. And I, at the time I was just eating at the normal, you know, your normal fast food places. I didn't really care. Um, and that was a good way for me and her to communicate because she was showing me, she was teaching me about, she was teaching me about Yelp and where to find, you know, the coolest food places to go when you travel and everything. And another thing was I used to, when I was blogging, I would, you know, post about the food on my blog, like, Hey, these are places I'm eating at. Oh, this place is really good. Like I'd recommend you go here, here and here. And over time, like everyone started coming to me as like the food person, like, Oh, where if I'm going to New York, where should I eat Andy? I was like, well, these are top places. I think you should definitely hit and I guess it became like a game for me. You know, I became addicted to it. I started trying out new places all the time and studying and writing about it. And when I traveled to certain places, like, like certain places, I, I started noticing these like unique ice cream stores that had flavors I've never seen before. I was like, I didn't even know you could, I didn't even know you could turn these things into ice cream flavors. All I knew was at the time that I knew cookies and cream mint chip. I had, you know, we had our regular Baskin Robbins and the Cold Stone. Uh, I'd never seen anything like that. 
So I kept like writing, you know, down ideas in my head and, and pitching it around. And I was kind of giving away the ideas to my friends. Like, Hey, you should do this concept. Like I have this dessert concept, but I think it'll work. Everyone's like, you're fucking crazy. Like whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess, you know, near, near the end of my apparel career, I, I wanted to do food and, and I was just seeking for the right person. And, uh, I found a few people that were, have the same ideas as me, uh, very similar interests. And we decided to go hunt for an ice cream store to go buy out and start our own. And how did you find like-minded individuals with the same idea? Cause you were kind of uh, pitching around your friend group. Those, and those people, those, those people that grew up, it was like the guys I grew up with, you know, they're like, you know, there's, there's another stupid, crazy idea that we all have. Let's, you know, we're, we're all doing okay right now. We're chilling. And, and, but we're super excited about that. Let's, let's go try it out. We don't, we don't have much to lose. Uh, we started hunting around for uh, an existing ice cream shop because we didn't want to risk too much money and make a lot of mistakes. Uh, so we we're like, okay, let's just find an ice cream shop that's existing and then we'll take it over and flip it, you know, make it look nicer, add our vibe to it and see what happens. And we found this shop. The shop we found was owned by these older gentlemen who have been there for five years. They don't know what's going on through culture and scene. All they knew is, you know, they knew the usual flavor is the same thing. And we told them, hey, we want, to, we want to buy you out. And they're like, I still want to make ice cream. I was like, oh, well, I don't know how to make ice cream. Uh, so let's just uh, figure out how to team up with this and make it work together. So, so you have this dynamic of these like older white gentlemen. And then you have these young Asian kids that are trying to figure out how to work together. Um, and we kind of flipped the store upside down, you know, painted the whole store black, started developing all these crazy ice cream flavors with them. And we added the donut element to it. And... You know, we opened in 2014, February. We opened February thinking, you know, February's going to be a slow time because it's the winter. It's still cold. It gives us time to like build and, and build up and, and learn the system. But next thing you know, like from the day we opened, like lines down the block and word spread like wildfire. And initially to get the word out, was it just by word of mouth? Did you blast it on social media? Were you guys big there prior to the, a, to the opening? Yeah, there's multiple different things. I think um, multiple things. Every the news, the news was uh, was beginning to talk about food because the cronut from New York just got popular from the year before, and no one on the West Coast was doing anything that exciting at the time. And we just hit, you know, like all the news stations were like, "What is this milky bun donut ice cream thing?" And my friends happened to work for a network called Food uh, Food Beast. It's a, uh, it's a digital network and they were my friends that came from, they were from the, the apparel industry before too. And they, they posted about it and then all the news stations like all this, all that post about it. So they wanted the same cover. They wanted the coverage too. So they, they kept going snowball effect happened again. And then everyone's curious cause they're like, why is the fat, why, why is the clothing guy, the I'm King guy starting a food brand? Let's go see what it, see what it's about and see what it tastes like. And I think from that, all those things were like lightning just like struck. And was there a transition period too? Like you were saying, you, you wanted to kind of have juggle a couple of things at once in case one didn't work out. Did you, were you still have, you saw the clothing brand or were you trying the ice cream store? Was that the same Yeah, the clothing, the clothing brand, I saw, you know, I've been in the for, you know, when you're in this industry for that long, you see so much waves and trends hit and you're like, your fashion is, is not, fashion is very hard. It's, it's super tough to break through and you need a lot of resources and team and experience to really break through this. And I was like, I don't, I don't know if I can picture myself doing this that much longer. Like, yeah, this is my baby. And that, that really built my name. Um, but I think 
the ice cream thing, the ice cream thing was honestly a hobby. Like we didn't know, we did not know it was going to take off and become the, the monster that it became, you know, we did that for fun. So I was like, I'm still doing clothing. I'm making money, but I'll do this ice cream thing for fun. But next thing you know, the ice cream thing, you know, like became this phenomenon where like, we're like, Oh shit, we could really make something of this. This is a different field. It's a wider audience besides just like teenage boys. You know, this is like everyone eats ice cream. So it makes it a lot easier. So I was like, you know what? Let's do it. I'm down to go all in. I'm going to sell my brand. I think I sold the brand. Me and my partner sold the brand about a year into after his opening. We sold it off. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And how old were you when that happened? 28, 29 at the time then. I'm 30. What, six years, 35. I'm 35 now. I'll be about, about 29 at the time. And when you sold the brand, um, when it, when it comes to exiting, uh, you know, mm -hmm. is it more of finding the right person to buy it or is it more of the price or like how, how did you make sure you, you how, cause it's your baby, right? Like how do you make sure yep. you, you had it was, it I, to... I think at the time we were like, after this thing was so crazy. Like, yeah, we would like to like have sold it to someone that really wanted to work in the industry. But one of our friends really wanted it. He was honest about it all the time. And we're like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to do the clothing thing. I'm not going to use the name. If I do use it again, like, I just, I'll just ask you for it. But right now, I'm not, I'm not looking to use it anytime soon or whatever. So I'll just sell it. You guys can, mm. you guys can take it over. And then I'm going to focus on, on the, the, the food side. Got it. So again, it was just more of you were dabbling on this. And then the hobby needs more attention. And all of a sudden, you sure. couldn't handle both. And then you had to pick. And that's, that's yeah, exactly. Cause it got so crazy that I was like, okay, well now I got to pick which, which realm I want to be in because the clothing is definitely not getting my attention. It requires, and it requires a lot of time and energy. And take me through, um, like why ice cream out of all things that you could have tapped into in terms of food? Why, why was it ice cream that you decided? I think the, cre the creative, the creative flavors that were running through my head at the time, I had a lot of the good ideas for ice cream. I had a, I brought in a lot of flavor profiles that I grew up on. I grew up on, and, and then I was currently interested at the time. I think the flavor profiles I put in were like I like I like drinking boba, so I made a jasmine milk tea flavor. Um, I liked you know we we live in Orange County, which is very you know Asian or Hispanic out here, so that I created a churro. We had a churro flavor, or I liked you know I went to China, I went to New York and I saw an almond you know I like almonds, so I made almond cookie like a Chinese almond cookie flavor. Um, Vietnamese coffee because I'm you know, my my because I'm Vietnamese, so I kind of put those those ideas together that I haven't seen before outside, anyways. And it was you know it was ice cream. Ice cream was like you know that's why I loved you know I loved to eat ice cream at the time. And that's all I wanted to do. I was like, okay, after a meal, I want I want some ice cream. And so and it was one of the easier entries in with the, like a lot of without having a real chef like on board too. So that's amazing and. In terms of partnering up, because you said you got some the, the young Asian dudes and you got like yeah. the two old white guys, like how yep. did you bridge the dynamics so you guys could work together? Because how did you make that happen? I, it took a long time for them to ease in, you know, like even the color, like I wanted like a blue ice cream and he's like, no one's going to buy blue ice cream. I was like, yeah, they are. Trust me. Because yeah, they never seen it. You know, the like 60, like 65 year old dude, white dudes are like, fuck are you talking about? Like, no one eats blue. No one wants to eat, see their mouth blue. I was like, everyone wants their mouth blue. Uh, you know, at the, at, when we first opened, he wouldn't make it blue. And I'm like, John, like, make the damn ice cream blue. And when he decided, when he made it blue, it became our top selling flavor times like 15 times, 15 times more than our closest flavor after that to this day. And like, no one touching that flavor, like our cookie monster flavor, like no one touching it. 
all because I made it blue. I was like, dude, make it blue. It's called Cookie Monsters. Yeah, that's all people want. And now you can't go, you can't go to any independent ice cream store out, outside now and not see a blue flavored Cookie Monster ice cream. That's like the influence of what we had around the world. Um, yeah, but I think the dynamic is just like, but then us us working with them too. They had they had they had they had restaurant experience, so it gave us like it broke down the learning curve a lot, you know, a lot better. And then even going into our new locations, when we go to our new locations, we'd walk into meetings and we'd walk into these meetings. They'd walk in first and, you know, they're being greeted by the, the landlords and then they see us. They're like, what are you guys doing here? We're like, motherfuckers, we, we're the ones that came with the concept. Like, you know, this, this is us. And they're like, okay, whatever. So, you know, it was, it was good to have them around because they showed, you know, like they're, you know, there's like old white guys in, in their in their suits. They're more trusted than these kids walking in baseball caps and t-shirts. <laughs> Love it. Love right. it. And and so you would have all these crazy ice cream ideas and then you would kind of get they would be the creators behind making the actual flavor. Yes. So it's educating educating them on like they've never like like before they never drank they never had drank boba before. They never drank any of these things. So it's like it was like an education process, like, hey John, like I want this flavor can you can you try this out and then i'll show you some recipes and we'll work together on putting it together so that's kind of how we how our, our our working dynamic relationship worked out that's amazing and where did the idea for the milky bun come from um, we wanted to do a lot of different things we want we knew ice cream itself wouldn't set us off so we kind of tried different ideas we we're trying to do we we're trying to execute waffle ice cream sandwiches in the beginning. We're trying to make waffles, like different flavored waffles. You want to do like matcha, red bean waffles. And then we just couldn't do it because waffles were really hard to execute and took a lot of time. And I think we tried to do like, you know, like turning a cone into a taco shell at the time and we couldn't get the cone to hold. So we were thinking of a jelly filled donut and just taking out the jelly and trying it out. And we tested it out and we're like, oh shit, this is it, bingo. This is the one. Yeah, and struck and it, you know people item that's two items that people are familiar with have never but they've never had it together in the way that we created it and it, it helped put us on the map and there was a bunch of trial and error trial and error to get it perfect of course of course and we, we were definitely very tough on making sure that it tasted right and textures and heating process and the things that we developed like if it didn't if it didn't come out right we weren't going to open the store because we weren't in a, we weren't really in a rush to open the store anyway so we wanted to make sure that we got things um, solid. And what was uh, the mindset behind being able to expand so fast? Because you guys grew like ridiculously. Yeah. Um, I don't think we definitely did not know we were going to open more than one store. You know, that was, you know, obviously that's like a dream for people. But that wasn't our mindset. You know, we wanted the reason why we opened afters is like we wanted a cool place to hang out. We wanted to open our own ice cream store. We wanted to be different. We wanted something different. And the store took off. It did so like it did beyond anyone's expectations that we were getting approached by a lot of landlords. And we we okay, we there for our second location. We got a special opportunity because the store was used to be a, it used to be a bakery, so it was an easy turn, easy flip for us. So it wouldn't cost us that much to, to develop. And we're like, you know what? We have nothing to lose. If it doesn't do well, we won't really lose much money on the second location. So let's just see what happens. And I remember in the, even the first store being open, you'd, you'd have people come by and go, this is overhyped. This, this is not going to last, blah, blah, blah. And we're like, well, shit, I didn't, I didn't even know this was going to be this big anyways. Next thing you know, our second store we open outperforms our first store. So we're like, oh, shit, okay. Now we're on to something. Now we, need to, now we really need to focus. And now we need to figure out what we want to do. 
And from there, we kept, you know, let's, let's start finding more locations. Let's, let's study this game better. Let's get better at what we do. And from there, you know, we, we're now at six years later, we're about 30 locations in Southern California. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And you guys plan on expanding outside of SoCal? Yeah, we're, all, we're looking for it. Yeah, we're looking to different territories, deciding what's our next move, uh, making sure we do it right. Uh, very, you know, there's a, there's a lot of us involved, so make sure it, it's, a, it's a different process now than it was before. Uh, we're a lot more careful, and, and we judge things a little differently than we used to, and, and we try to keep them the risk as minimal as possible. And when it comes to picking out location, you know, what kind of homework or research do you guys do in terms of making sure that this place would pop or be better? We look at, we look at a lot of different things because our business is very reliant on, on late night. All our stores open till midnight, which most ice cream stores close at nine. Uh, we want it to be a place that you can hang out instead of going to a club or doing whatever and just having a place to just be with your friends. It was like our own, it's like our own dessert party scene that we, like a club, it's like a ice cream club that we were creating. Um, we'd look for territories that were sleepy where they had nothing to do. Like, you know, we'd find, if we go really far, then we want a place where no one had anything to do, well, then everyone's going to go to afters. Or we'd look for, you know, like malls that were really busy that had a lot of walk-by traffic. So, you know, each each location that we pick varies on, on, on what we're trying to look for and how we try to attack it. That's amazing. Wow. And I guess that's where the name came from afters is, is you wanted a place that people can kind of chill and hang out, but, but not necessarily be the club. The word afters is uh, it's like a, it was like a European term that we found and it means after a meal, like dessert, you know, after dinner, after anything, after lunch, like you can eat ice cream. So afters. That's amazing. And Andy, how did you go from afters to, to where you are now? And I mean, you have so many different restaurants. Mm -hmm. That, that you've opened up like how did how did that it almost seemed like that was kind of the initial spark and then all of a sudden you're kind of everywhere um food wise ha take me through kind of how that transition happened i think my mindset at the time was that i have a lot of opportunity and i've seen so many industries go like this and shift and break apart that I wanted to make sure that I had different avenues in case something happened to say after it didn't work out or something fell apart that I would have something else to hang on to and, and work on and develop and not be like, like, like making decisions rationally, you know, making rational decisions on what I don't want to take my future. Um, people start presenting me ideas. I had different ideas and I'd be around different people. And I got, you know, I kept getting more opportunities from other partners to develop new projects and I get to work with like, I think I like working with a lot of different people, you know, a lot of different personalities and that continued to drive me to, to make a mark. And now I am deep in the food industry a lot more than I ever expected. I never, I, you know, like I said, I never worked in food. I, I still don't, I'm not a cook. I still don't cook to this day. Um, but I eat out a lot and I study a lot. Uh, but I think it's just the impact, the impact I've been able to make for not just myself, but other people like change their lives, like people that weren't, that weren't able to have a chance at going to the food industry. Like this is, this is your chance. Like I see the talent in you. I can help you develop a company that can change your life forever. And what, what are the rest, some of the restaurants that, you know, you're, you've been partnered up with, I mean, uh, on your Instagram profile, there's a lot, and I'm sure there's a lot yeah, more. There's more that's on there. There's more that's not on there too that I don't, I don't decide to, I, have, I try not to put my name on everything. I hopefully build it without having me to push, but I have a, I have a burger concept called Groundhouse Burger opening our second location in Pasadena 
I have two great partners over there. My partner is uh, Chef Fernando and our other partner, Bear. And Bear is like a marketing monster that you've never seen before. He, his, his connections to celebrities are like, I've never seen anyone like that. Um, I have a, a cookie concept with two amazing females uh, called Donero. And we do a lot of unique cookies and coffee over there. Uh, I have a, what else do I have? That's a lot. It gets crazy. Um, a, a, a chicken place in a Filipino chicken concept out in Houston, Texas. Uh, my friends that I've known for a while, they had a food truck out there and then I came in there and helped them open the store and teaching them how to scale their business. Uh, what else do I have? That's under the belt. I own Hello Kitty Cafe in Las Vegas. Um, yeah, so we have a Hello Kitty Cafe out there on the strip in Las Vegas. We do a lot of unique products that we work with Sanrio and I've been able to um, help them elevate their brand in the Vegas presence. Um, I have a new coffee shop opening and doing real estate development. The list kind of goes on on what I'm working on. So, yeah. Yeah. That's amazing, Andy. And what would be your top, you know, number one thing um, when it comes to finding the right partnerships, because, mm -hmm. you know, opportunities come and go and I'm sure you get a lot of opportunities, but how do you vouch for the ones where like, okay, I, I need to work on this opportunity instead of this one. How do you figure that uh, out? The partners that I'm look I look for these days are they need to be committed and focused, but they also need to be open-minded and ready to pivot. And I am big on being able to pivot because sometimes no matter how great your idea is and how perfect your operation is, it might not be the time for it and it might not be the right place for it. So I'm really big on having a team that's ready to like switch gears and not be stuck on one thing. Like, like Hey, if things are not working out, like, Hey, let's, Let's shift it. Let's figure out what, to, what we can do to make it pop off or, or make a change and, and really move the needle. And transparency, looking for partners that are super transparent, as it sends me my P&L updates often that I need, you know, like keep, me, keep me filled on what's going on. Uh, I think those are the kind of type of partners that I, I keep my eye out on right now. Got it. And you mentioned you're getting into real estate development too. Um, mm -hmm. how, how did that happen? Um, my real estate development side happened because I was helping a lot of food halls early on, um, uh, because they, they, they would, they were, they didn't know what kind of tenants to put in, in place. Right. And I was like, I don't want to be neighbored by the corporate brands. I don't want to be neighbored by the corny brands. I want to be, I want the neighboring tenants to be cool brands because you know, we're in, if you're in a food hall, you're supposed to help each other. It's, it's all about community and food halls. And I'm educating them on like, Hey, you need to put this tenant here because if you put them there, it helps our business grow and helps this place more packed and the parking lot slam. Um, so I did that for free the first time. And then I got approached by um, a huge Chinese market uh, called 99 Ranch. And I ended up working with them on developing their first food hall. And that project pretty much was like, you know, this is, I love doing this. Like I don't have to own all the concepts, but I can help put in the right brands in place and show you the aspects of like the creative areas and fields and, and develop an experience that you can't do without me pretty much. And from there, I, now I'm working on my hometown project um, and development. And the difference between real estate when I was doing it when I was younger and now is that I get to do the creative aspect. I get to be, you know, I get to like put things together and like more of the, uh, more of things that I like to do. The design aspect, the, you know, the layouts and those more, more of what I enjoy than, uh, than the appraisal side, the number side. <laughs> sure, for sure. And in terms of like entrepreneurship in general, uh, 
mm-hmm. have you always had entrepreneurial tendencies growing up or did you just kind of stumble upon this idea of being an owner and starting a business? I, I always liked, I was always low, like doing my own thing. And I never really, like I hated authority and like people telling me what to do. And I, you know, that was never really my thing. Uh, that's why I didn't do well in school or whatever else you know, I always do it. I always rebelled one way or another and against my parents or whatever I did. Um, entrepreneurship is usually about, you know, focusing on a goal or a lot of people, a lot of people that jump into it, jump into it for the reasons of generating a lot of income and money. And I think that that's cool and fine and all, but that's not why I did it. I did it because it was a way for me to work for myself on my own terms to work with my friends and over time was about being creative and making an impact. That's what I really enjoy about the entrepreneurship field that I've been able to develop with my friends. And why do you think so many entrepreneurs and businesses fail when, when they start out from um, your experience? Well, you, if you look at the fail rate of people's first businesses, it's 90 something percent of, you know, people's first businesses fail, correct? But if you look if you really study a lot of people that have been able to be successful and really do something, it takes their second, third, fourth, fifth, hundredth business idea. You, you just have to be right one time. And if you're right one time, you just do it one time correctly that opportunities will come. Your, your, your mind is, is so much stronger and you, you understand a lot of the hurdles a lot better and you've been through it already. And I think a lot of people, the first time they get, you know, like if you fail, like a lot of people are scared to fail and you fail that first time, you're like, I'm not willing to take that hit again. If you're not willing to take that hit again, then, then you're done. It's like, you know, it's like skateboarding. You fall once and if you're not going to get back on, you're not going to get better. So just continue riding that skateboard and and keep going, get up and try that trick again until you land it. And after you land it one time, it's going to be easier the next few times to land it. It's kind of same, same uh, ideals uh, I applied to business. What have been some of the biggest, scariest moments or fearful moments that you've experienced when it comes to starting your own businesses? Uh, I think right now, right now is a scary moment because we don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, we're, you know, our all, pretty much all our assets that we had have, have, are, are become liabilities at this point right now, right? Because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to open back up and you have staff to worry about. You have partners to worry about you have your own families to take care of and, and these are things that are, are running through my mind all the time and, and it's scary but you know eventually obviously like if you're relentless enough you'll figure out how to get through it but it's it's a right now scary i've been through moments where in apparel industry where you know production doesn't my production doesn't come and i, I don't have my, my pieces in that i get canceled orders and i'm sitting on millions of dollars worth of product and in food you deal with you know you deal with like health hazards you deal with people getting hurt and you deal with um, staff and employees, you know, partnership battles that you have to go through your partners and it's a, it's a never end. There's fires put out every day, whether it's in the situation or, or when the economy is running well. Yeah. And, and how do you always keep yourself relentless in times of trouble in times of difficulty in times where, you know, most people would give up, you know, how, how do you keep yourself going? I keep myself going because I know there's still a lot that I want to accomplish, not just in these fields on my future project. And I feel like my best work is still ahead of me that I'm not at my peak yet. And, and I'm having, still having fun doing it. That's why I keep, that's why I continue doing it. Cause if it wasn't fun, I wouldn't, you know, I'd go do something else. And if, if I really wanted to make money, I can go be a drug dealer and make, probably make a lot more money than doing what I'm doing now. You know, 
So it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a fun challenge. And I enjoy, I enjoy not only learning on, you know, I'm always learning, but I also enjoy teaching people and helping others at the same time. And, and I, I like seeing people's lives change from it. Um, I've seen people's lives change for the good and the worst from it, but it's, it, it's a, it's something I've been committed to and I'm continuing, I'm going to continue doing it. And do you think enjoying what you do is important? Like doing what you love and do you doing what you think is fun? Has that been kind of the theme to your success throughout your entrepreneurial ventures? I think over time it did. I think early on, you know, I did real estate. I didn't, you know, I wasn't, I didn't like real estate or not, not, not saying I didn't like real estate. I didn't know what it was about. And I took a chance on something that I was unfamiliar with and I took a risk. But it, it, uh, even though I didn't really love that industry at the time, it really built a lot of the, my foundation now. So I, I think it's okay to do things that you don't like in order to pick up a lot of the skills that will take you for the rest of your future. And then doing things that you don't, you don't like. You, what you, once you do those things, so at least you, you, get a, a good, you get a good idea of how like, your life later on is like, hey, well, I'm never going to do that again. You know what I mean? So I think it's a good mix to do things you don't like and that you like so that you can figure out what you really do like and enjoy. And how do you, how does one find what they enjoy doing? Cause a lot of people don't know what their passions are, you know, what, what they love doing, what they don't like doing. I think it, 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 it comes with time and trying out, trying out as many different things as possible. Like, you know, once, especially when you're younger and you're, your teens and your early twenties, that's the time to take your chance and try different things. Like try different companies, work for a bunch of different people, intern around for 10 different industries till you find out something that sticks or, land, or works with you. You might discover something that you're super amazing at that you're, that, that no one, no one can compete with you in it. And that's what you probably might want to go towards. And I think it's, it's different for everyone. It's hard to say, I can only speak for what I've done and, and I've done things that I didn't like and I've done things that I, I really love. And, and I've seen the, I've seen the payouts from it. So, yeah. And in terms of branding, um, what is your take on companies and businesses uh, building a brand presence on social media? Mm -hmm. Is, you know, wh what's, what's kind of the right way to, to, to get your name out there on social media from your point of view? Uh, there's so many different ways to do it. I don't think there's a right and wrong way to do it. I think you just got to do what's, best for your brand and, you, and once you understand what field you're in if you're like like me my brand my brand of my personal branding is storytelling heavy um it's about being relatable approachable and um being able to connect with uh, my audience and i think that's what my personal brand is about but everyone's brand is different some people have branding about you know a lot about money and and things that are are, are really far-fetched and people love to tune into that but i think once you discover you know, once you're working around with um, your your own core values is what, how you develop your, your brand. And what are your values? What are your why? What is your why? Why? Because um, when I when I start thinking about the future, I want to be able to think about a place that I really enjoy being in. Um, and when I look at, when I think of the present, that what are things I can change and how I can make an impact. And I think, I think my, my legacy is about how I, how I was an Asian American, how my parents came here and that I was able to make them proud by doing something that they probably wouldn't have ever imagined and something that I would never, never imagined. Um, yeah. Wonderful. And Andy, last but not least, you know, what, what do you have in the works right now? What's, what's kind of up and coming for you, your, your five-year plan? 
uh, the five, it's always a hard to five year plan because right now you know, I, I did the ice cream thing for six years now and I, I could never imagine my life being the way it has turned out. I did not know I was going to own this many concepts or go this far in food. Um, but I am working on my uh, marketplace out in Orange County, which is the big project that I've been developing for a while. Uh, I have a coffee shop that's opening in downtown LA called Matt Black Coffee and that's teamed up with a really famous street artist right now. His name is Joshua Vides. He is super killing it right now. He's done collaborations with like Fenty, Nike. Uh, he has his own baseball card right now. It's so crazy what he's doing. And uh, we teamed up with another group who just won Roaster of the Year in coffee. So we have, we have the best coffee with the strong artists. And then you have me as a food guy on board. So we have the super team together and hope to see how it turns out. It might turn out well or it might become chaotic. We'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I have other, other few concepts that I'm developing uh, at the moment and we'll see where it leads out, inside and outside of food. So, yeah. That's amazing, Andy. And uh, how can people find you on social media? Uh, you can jump on my Instagram at AndyTheWin. Um, I'm really pretty, pr pretty good at responding back. So if you're not asking anything weird or creepy, then I'll most likely answer back. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful, Andy. Uh, thanks again for your time, uh, Andy. It, it's been such a pleasure talking to you and for you to kind of share your journey. Um, I'm sure you've definitely inspired a lot of individuals, especially you know people like myself who come from Asian immigrant countries, uh, and you know your parents push education, education, education. But you know it's just we grew up in a different environment than than what they were raised in, and we grew up in a different time. And there are so many opportunities out there. Uh, that if you really focus on it and really double down on your passion, what you love doing, uh, building connections uh, and building relationships with people that, you know, you can really uh, accomplish great things in life like yourself. And, and these are things that you've kind of never imagined yourself being. Of course. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, thanks for having me here. And, and, you know, this, this is making the time pass by through this, this quarantine. So it's, it's good to hang out and chit chat and, and share with everybody. Wonderful, Andy. All right. Well, I, I hope to meet you one day. I'm going to definitely, after yeah, this absolutely. quarantine is said and done, I, I love I coming down to California. So I need to make a trip back up to Van City. So I'm a big fan of that place. I've been there one time and I want to go back so bad. So yeah. Uh, absolutely. Hit me up, brother. We'll I'll take you around. We'll yeah. try out some food spots and uh, we'll go from yeah. there. All righty. Okay. Stay safe and take care, Andy. You too. Stay safe. See you guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to the On The Rise podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. The music composition and vocals is done by Graham Best. Your host, of course, is the property shark, Mr. John Lee. Have a wonderful day, and we will, of course, see you next time on our way to the top. Cheers. Cheers.